Thank you. And uh, I'm excited to, to come before you this morning and share with you from the Word. You know, since this is an election year, uh, maybe you've watched or, or read about or listened to some of the speeches from, from the, the Democratic Convention or the Republican Convention. Um, and I wanted to, to talk to you now. I, I have a very limited perspective. I, I've, I've read a little bit and I've watched a little bit, but I, I certainly haven't followed everything. But, but from what I've seen, I want to talk to you about an issue that's been ignored in this election so far, and that's foreign policy. Now, I, I'm not too worried about um, trying to, to help you understand either the party's position. This morning, I want to talk to you about your personal foreign policy and God's foreign policy, and if they match up. I want to look at the Bible, and I want us to, to have a clear understanding of God's desire for the nations. Maybe you've noticed that theme already this morning in the songs, in the, uh, in the overhead uh, introductory slide. Um, I want to look at God's heart for the nations. Now, it's clear when we look at the story of, of Adam and Eve from the very beginning, once man was created, we see that God intended to have a relationship with, uh, with man. He walked with them in the garden and they, they talked together. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that sin broke the relationship with God and caused separation in their relationship and consequently in our relationship as well. And as God pronounced sin's curse on man, woman, and the earth, within that curse contained a statement of hope. The very first prophecy of Christ, where he said, The seed of the woman will rise up and crush the head of the serpent. So right away, even in the midst of pronouncing the curse, God has initiated a plan to redeem man and, and to bring them back to himself. And we know from our, our Bible history that he started that with a nation through Abraham. He initiated a relationship with him. He brought him out of Ur and brought him uh, to a new land, built a relationship with him when Abraham was about 75 years old, uh, a fatherless man, even though he was great-grandfather great age. God promised him a son. And it would be 25 more years before that son would arrive. But Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And when that son arrived, he grew, and I'm sure he was the joy of Abraham's life. But there came a time when he was in his teen years probably where God came to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac. I want you to take him up on a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham believed God. And he, he trusted God. And he took Abraham up on a mountain. He built an altar. He laid Isaac on the altar. And he raised his knife to strike Isaac and kill his son of the promise. And God sent an angel of the Lord. And he stopped Abraham. It says he, he shouted, Abraham, stop. And in the middle of that obedience, in the middle uh, of, of that uh, uh, trust in God. God tells Abraham, In your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So the very purpose of the nation of Israel and God's covenant with them was to bring about the Messiah and to offer God's salvation to all. Now we know the end of the story. We have the benefit of seeing the beginning and, and the middle of the story. We haven't seen quite the end yet because the end hasn't come, but we know that this serpent-crushing, nation-blessing offspring is Jesus. 
It was announced at his arrival to the shepherds when they said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And later, when the baby Jesus was taken to the temple and the old man Simeon took him, and, and you could just see the, the, the joy uh, as, as Simeon proclaimed, For my eyes have seen your salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Gentiles is a, is a, a word for non-Jew. It just says, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. A word for the nations. But yet, in Jesus' three years of preaching and teaching, he focused on the Jews. He focused on the Jews of the chosen nation. Paul echoes this in Romans 1.16 where he says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Jesus focused on the Jews, but he wasn't limited to just the Jews. There were glimpses of, of his Messiahship that would extend to all nations when a Samaritan woman was at the well and he revealed himself to her as the Messiah. It was, it was hinted at when a Syrophoenician woman came to him and asked him to heal his daughter and Jesus came back with the reply, it's not right to take the food for the children and throw it to the dogs. And not deterred by Jesus' answer, the woman goes back and says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. And Jesus saw her faith and he healed her daughter. We see it in a Roman centurion who came to Jesus because his beloved servant was paralyzed. And Jesus said, I'll come with you and I'll heal your servant. And the Roman centurion says, I understand authority. You don't need to come with me. You say the word and it'll happen. And Jesus said, faith like this I've not seen in Israel. So we see that even though Jesus' focus was on the Jews while he was here, there were hints that it wasn't going to stay on the Jews. And that changed with his resurrection. Once Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected, he gathered his disciples together before he was going to ascend into heaven, and he shared with them his last words. And if you know last words, last words tend to be famous words. They tend to be the, the most important words. If you know this is the last time you're going to see someone, you want to leave them with something other than, hey, I like your shoes. You want, you want something that is going to be important, something that's going to matter. And so Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I assume you're familiar with this passage because it's such an important passage for those of us who believe and follow Christ and for the church. It's called the Great Commission. And, and it, it forms some very foundational truths and purposes for the church. But in the Greek, there's one imperative verb in, uh, among all the verbs. And an imperative verb is a command. This means it's not an option. It's, it's, it's a command the, the Lord commands it. The king commands it. It shall be done. And that command is to make disciples. That's the one command. Go is not a command. Teach and, and baptize is not a command. But make disciples is a command. And the process of making disciples is the idea of pouring your life into others so that they 
can follow your faith. They can, they can, it's basically follow Jesus with me, like me, so that, that you can grow in him. It's, it's sharing your life, putting a piece of your life into someone else's life so that they can grow in Christ. And by nature, it reproduces. Because if you teach someone how to follow Christ, and by you teaching them how to follow Christ, you're teaching them how to teach others, then that should reproduce. That's why we see in parables things like the, 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 the servant with the talents, you know, that, that God expects some, some results. We see in the, the good soil, we see that the good soil produces fruit a hundredfold. When we go and make disciples, when we pour into others, our faith, that should reproduce itself. And on and on and on. That's, that's Jesus' design. But what I want to focus on this morning is the scope of making disciples. And there's a little prepositional phrase there that expands our scope. Uh, our scope excuse me. Of whom are we to make disciples? Of all nations. Of all nations. The command is not for all of us to go, but the command is for all of us to make disciples of all nations, that we as the body of Christ are making disciples of all nations. Because God's heart is for all people to come to him. John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse, For God so loved one country, for God so loved Israel, for God so loved what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's all encompassing as it gets. Paul tells us in Timothy that God desires all people to be saved. And Peter tells us that God is patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but for all should reach repentance. God's heart is for all people to come to him. You know, Luke records some more of Jesus' last words in Luke 1.8. It's the same setting. It's just before he ascends into heaven. Uh, he's talking to his apostles. And just before he leaves, he also says this. He tells them that they're going to be witnesses. Witnesses of him. They're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they currently were at. He said, and in Judea, which is the, the country they were in. And in Samaria, which was the, the nation next to them. And then he just said, to the end of the earth. And let me tell you, he was pretty serious. He was pretty serious about this, and he really meant it because so much, so much so that he allowed for evil to take place later in Acts because he intended it for his greater purposes. If you fast forward in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 8, the very first verse says this, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And if you jump to verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So God is so serious about this that he allowed persecution to break out against the church for the purpose of taking the gospel out, for the purpose of spreading the good news. Now, I do have to confess I omitted a specific part from this, this, uh, this verse because I want to point something out to you. You would think that the people who were scattered, it's called the, the diaspora, that they would rally around the apostles. They would rally around the leaders of the church, and you would think that the apostles 
would continue to teach and lead as they were scattered, that they would be the ones to say, you know, let's head in these different directions and let's rally the troops around us and let's, let's you know, let's get everybody together as much as we can and, and keep this thing going. But that's not the case. Because what I omitted was from verse 1. It said that there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The Jews apparently had gotten tired of trying to persecute the apostles because they kept getting out of jail. They kept you know, doing miracles, and they said, all right, let's attack the little people. And God used that to spread the good news of Christ throughout the region throughout the land. It sounds very Romans 8.28-ish, don't you think? That God uh, would use something intended for evil for the good of those who love him according to those who are called, according to the purpose of the kingdom. Now before we go on in all this, I want to return to a word in the Great Commissions, in the Great Commission, excuse me, and unpack this word a little bit. The word is nations, ethnos. Now, if you're like me, the Olympics are fresh in your mind, and when you think of nations, you, uh, you think of the parade of nations in the opening ceremony. All the coordinating outfits made in China <laughs> with, with the flags, hopefully not made in China, walking in in groups, waving, everyone's cheering, pomp and circumstances, all kinds of lights and lasers and effects and music and just a, a big rah-rah moment. I, I, I would love one day to be an opening ceremony. You know, it, it would be absolutely incredible to, to be a part of. But unfortunately, that's too broad of a definition of the word ethnos, of nations, for our purposes here and for, for what the Bible is, is teaching when we want to talk about taking the message out to the nations. Instead, let's expand our view, or not expand, maybe reduce our view of nations, is maybe the better word, uh, and let's use Revelation chapter 7 to illustrate what we mean. In this chapter, we see John's vision of the people of heaven gathered around the throne of God. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine a multitude people shouting that, shouting that together and being in that multitude. What an amazing uh, picture. What an amazing vision. Now, both Matthew 28 and Revelation 7 use forms of the same words. They use ethnos, which is nations, and the, the, the Greek word pas, which is all. So all nations are both used there. But Revelation 7 adds the following. It adds the, the word phileo, which means tribes. It adds laos, which means peoples. It adds glossa, which means language. From every nation, tribe, 
people and language. I hope that you can see from the description, from the picture, that the word nations, as we understand it today, is not adequate, biblically, for our mission scope. Instead, we need to think of it more on the idea of, of people groups. Because nations often contain different people groups that are united by language, culture, custom, and history, but primarily language. And if we focus on language, I want to share with you some stats. Now, they're in your handout. And I, and I consider these, these stats really important. So I'm going to ask you to stick with me on these stats for a minute. From infoplease.com. There are 6,500 spoken languages in the world today. 6,500. Now, 2,000 of those are, have less than 1,000 speakers. All right? Contrast that with the fact that there are 195 or 196 nations, depending on how you view Taiwan. I don't understand all of it, but it's a province of China. Some, some countries recognize it as a country. Some countries do not officially. So the world's divided if there's 195 or 196. Now let me, let me share, use India as an example. India by far has the largest amount of people groups. All right, so this is an extreme example on these numbers. India has 1.2 billion people, all right? Very large nation. Hindi is the dominant language in India, and only 30% of the population speak it. All right? As a matter of fact, there are 1,600 dialects in India. All right? That, as an American, that kind of, that, that takes a little bit to sink in. You know, we, we have one nation with a, with a, a, a few, or one, one language with with some Spanish speakers, and that seems to be growing, but, but then there's some, you know, old-school immigrants who still speak their, their language as their, their, their main tongue. But we can go anywhere in America and communicate. We don't, we don't worry about not being able to communicate. And if we can't, we have Google Translator, right? I mean, we, it, it works for us. Now, so, so when we look at India... And we look at 1.2 billion people and 1,600 different languages. You can begin to understand that India as a nation cannot reflect accurately the picture around the throne. Is there going to be one person from India? Does that adequately do the picture for us? And that one out of 1.2 billion? Or are we looking at all the, the tribes and the tongues and the languages. You know, mission groups have been working to classify uh, all of these people groups for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. They've found some, some interesting statistics that come across pretty heavy to me. The first category is, is a reached nation. And I actually didn't see this listed. I just kind of came up with this based on their terminology. A reached nation is a nation that has over 2% of their population uh, evangelical Christians and evangelism efforts are taking place and are growing and there are churches and there, there are missions. America would be a reached nation. All right? There's plenty of, of activity for Christ in America. The second category is unreached nation. Uh, unreached people group. I'm sorry. Let's, let's focus on the people group. Less than 2% of the population are un, 
unreached Christians. So, so there are, are evangelical Christians. So an unreached people group, less than 2% of their population know Christ or profess to know Christ. And there's a third category called unreached and unengaged. These are people groups that have no Christians, that have no gospel influence, that have no church, that have no missionary, that have no missions agency. Uh, there are other ways they measure. Do they have gospel radio? Many of these nations do not. Do they have the Jesus film in their language? Many of these nations do not. There is essentially no hope for these nations. Now, I'm speaking in human terms. God can be doing things that we don't know about, but we don't know that. There's a website called Finishing the Task, and according to them, there are 418 unengaged, unreached people groups with populations over 40,000. So this doesn't even include people groups that are under 40,000 people. 418. And if you add those together, it numbers over 130 million people who have no hope and who have no chance of hope if things stay the way they are. They're 418 of the neediest of the needy. No church, no missionary, nothing. And no one has yet taken responsibility to tell them about Jesus Christ. And I stand before you, the church today, and I say that has to break God's heart. We know without a doubt that God desires for all people to come to him. So it only makes sense that God's heart is for all peoples to hear good news and have a chance to respond to the good news read Romans 10 14 with me and I've I've often read this verse and it's been a challenge to preachers to go out but I've never read it in such a heartbreaking context as 130 million souls how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There's no good answers to any of those questions. Not in the present state. Now, I I don't want to be Mr. Doomsday up here. I recognize in my time at CCC that we've had strong, a strong missions history. And I've always, I've always bragged about Chatham Christian Church giving so much to missions. We give 20% of our budget to missions, something that, that is comparably very good. When you look at what other churches give to missions. We've been involved in some amazing missions. When Jesse was here last year, if Jesse ever gets to come back, I hope you'll take the time to get to know Jesse. Our church has grown up with Jesse. Jesse and Rick knew each other before he came here. And I'm not sure if the church has supported him every year that that Rick's been here or not. But I know that the relationship with Jesse is going on 30 years. And what we have seen through the work of Jesse 
And what we contributed to last year was the reaching of a people group. You know, there are stats, and they categorize all the people groups, the reached and the unreached. And I was looking through, and I looked up the Lisu people, which is who Jesse works with. And they're spread across China, Burma, Thailand. There's probably other countries, but I just checked those three. And the Lisu people are 85% Christian. 85%. They're a million strong Christian because of people like Jesse and the Morse family who reached out to Jesse and who preached the gospel and who took the gospel and it changed nations. And we've had a part in that. You know, last year we gave money towards sending study Bibles. <laughs> what a great luxury for Christians to have study Bibles. Some, some, some people don't even have Bibles in their own language. And Jesse was able to put out a study Bible to prepare the preachers and teachers. And he started a Bible college preparing the preachers and teachers to go out and to lead the Lisu people. For the last five years, we've supported Brett and Kristen in Greece where they had a ministry to refugees. And these refugees were from very strategic countries for the gospel. They, these refugees were places like Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Turkey, places where missionaries can't go in. But refugees had come out, and the gospel can be brought to them. And when those lives are changed, there's a chance that they can go back and minister, or they can stay and minister among their own refugees. An amazing ministry, amazing opportunity. Even today, this very day, Brian Green, one of our Timothys, is returning from a trip to Morocco. Morocco is another closed nation. You'll find Morocco on the list of nations that have people who are unreached. He's returning from a trip with his wife, I believe her name's Megan, where they are exploring going there as, as a, a work, as a, a mission, as a ministry to do, uh, to, to try to take the gospel to a dark and dying nation spiritually. So I don't want to paint this big doomsday picture for you, but I come before you today, often when I preach, I preach things that God is working on me because Rick, Rick gets to preach through books and he always has context. And I have to come in here with no context and preach some of you. So I often will share with you what he's working on me about. And I confess to you and I confess to God already that I have been willfully ignorant about unreached, unengaged people groups, about nations, whole nations of people who are dying without Christ because no one has cared, because the church with all the resources in America has not cared. And I have no idea what to tell you this morning, how to conclude this sermon I've got no idea what we should do from here. So in conclusion, I found a, a, a passage from Matthew 9 that shows the heart of Jesus. And I just want to read it, and, and I've got a couple other things to share. Honestly, my main purpose this morning, this message, was to burden your heart with the dying lost who don't even have a chance to hear about Christ. So that we can be informed as a body and we can pray. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom 
and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This morning I come before you and I lay before you the heart of God for people who have no idea. And I want to ask you to become informed. If, if this is burdened in your heart, there's a list of the top 100 unreached and unengaged people groups on the little table over here. Grab that. Pray through it. Pray to God and ask God to send laborers to go and make disciples. Pray and ask God what we can do. Pray for our, our leaders, our elders, as we are faced with, with this. And most of all, pray and ask God to just raise up workers to go. You know, missions group estimate that one worker is needed for every 50,000 people who have not heard and who currently have no hope. And at the present number, that means 11,000 workers are needed to go and to share the good news. And that doesn't mean Americans. It just means Christians. You know, I mentioned India. There are a lot of Indians who are involved in reaching out to those unreached people groups. You know, 11,000 is a number that's both overwhelming on the one hand and completely doable on the other. Because we serve a God who's not limited. He's not limited by anything. And 11,000 people is nothing in God's hands. But 130 million who don't even get a chance breaks my heart. Let's stand together and sing. The song is, we have a story to tell the nations. And, and you know...